Welcome back to Startups for the Rest of Us. This is episode 556. I'm Rob Walling. This week, I talk with Adam McCrea, the founder of Rails Autoscale, about growing from zero to 300,000 in ARR over the course of three years as a Heroku add-on. So for context, Rails Autoscale is an add-on that manages your dynos or your servers for you if you run Rails. It removes the guesswork and the babysitting typically involved in scaling a production web app. And frankly, everyone I know who uses Heroku and has Rails running on it uses Rails Autoscale. So he's built himself a great single founder business. And he applied to TinySeed for our spring 2021 batch that just started a couple months ago. And he's now part of the 18 companies that are in that batch. So this is a great conversation. And what I enjoy about it is Adam is still a single founder with no employees. And so he really is in that bootstrapped, mostly bootstrapped mindset. You know, even though he's he's part of Tiny Seed, he's still thinking through, you know, how do I continue to grow this app? How do I deal with the platform risk of, of being on Heroku? And even launching a freemium plan that he just launched last week. So we cover all that and more in our conversation. But before we dive into that, I got an email from someone who I'm going to keep anonymous. And he said, hi, Rob. We haven't met, but I got turned on to your podcast early on in my bootstrapped life. Startups for the Rest of Us was my go-to listen on my morning walks with my dog. It helped encourage me when I wasn't sure we were moving fast enough. It helped me learn about traction, growth stages, and lots of things. I love the transparency and honesty in the interviews. I recently sold my 80K ARR SaaS company. So that's $80,000 annual recurring revenue for $1.6 million split between me and my co-founder. We're also both making a great salary, and the post-acquisition journey has been a lot of fun. And we still have a lot of autonomy. This journey has been truly life-changing for someone who always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but wasn't sure it would happen. And then he runs through his time frame, starting in 2018, and you know it's, it's only three years. Thanks for doing what you do. This journey was something that changed my life forever and sets me up in a big way for the future. I love hearing stories like this. Thanks so much for writing in. You can tell why I kept him anonymous, but... This is why we do what we do. That's the bottom line through this podcast and microconf and tiny seed and whatever other efforts that, that I've been working on for the past 15 or 20 years and whatever I do for the next 10 to 20 years. These are the moments that make this all worth it. So thanks so much for writing in and thanks so much for being a listener. Let's dive into my conversation with Adam McCrea of Rails Autoscale. Adam, welcome to the show. Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and from what I understand, you've you've listened to startups for the rest of us for for a few years. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, several years. I I can't remember if it was before I started building Rails Auto Scale or after, but it's been several years. Right, and you came to MicroConf as well, so folks may have run into you in 2019, our last last one in Vegas. Yeah, 2019. That's cool. Great. So yeah, thanks for coming on the show today. Uh, you know, folks heard in your intro that that you're the founder of Rails Autoscale. And just to give folks an idea, can you give us a, an idea of your team size and your MRR? Yeah, right now the team size is one. It's just me. And as of today, I literally hit my 500th customer and I'm just over 26K MRR. Congratulations, man. Thanks. How does that, how does that feel? Because you, you say that out loud and and we take it for what it is. It's a SaaS app. We know a lot of them get to 26K. When you first launched this in 2017, which is about four years ago, did you imagine you would build it to, what is that, three, more than $300,000 a year in revenue as a single founder? Oh, I imagined I would build it to that within a year or two. 
<laughs> nice. I didn't have very realistic uh, <laughs> vision of the future at that point. Well, and so how, so how was that? I guess l- let me do a little bit of a timeline. So in 2016, you're, you're a Rails developer, and in 2016, you're working at a, a small company, and they need to move hosting providers to Heroku, and they needed something to auto-scale their servers. And you were looking for a side project. And so how, how did this happen that you now own this code that you wrote, in essence, to help that, that small company? Yeah, we, so we were a really tiny team, and... I led the effort for us to move to Heroku because I was tired of babysitting servers on our other hosting provider, and we were paying a, a ton for it as well. And the move to Heroku was great. But yeah, we were our primary app was mostly just used during business hours, so we were paying a whole lot for you know server power that we didn't need on the evenings and weekends. So we tried out some of the autoscalers that were on the market at the time and just couldn't get consistent, reliable behavior. It, w- it was kind of frustrating. And... And they were hard to use. And it, and it felt like something, you know, like most developers often feel like I could build a better version of this, you know. And I had been kind of, you know, I had an itch for a side project. And so, yeah, I asked, I, I asked my team and my manager, like, if I played with building an autoscaler as a side project, would you be cool with us trying it out? And, you know, we, we were a really small team, really kind of really casual, really informal. Um, so everybody was just like, yeah, sure, go for it. That's great. And you were able to, I mean, get something in writing that in essence means you you own the code? Yeah. I mean, honestly, like I didn't take the necessary steps at the time. Um, I was pretty naive about the whole thing. It wasn't until a couple years later when that company was acquired by another company that I was able to get all that in writing. So fortunately, there was no issue at, at that time because the Luckily for me, the same people were there. They were still friends of mine, and we were able to get all it all in writing at that point. If I had it all to do over again, I would have gotten it in writing from the beginning. But yeah, I was a little naive at that time. Well, yeah, well, it's man, it's good you were able to do that. I've heard of of founders who have to go back to old, let's say, contractors who worked on their app, and they need to get IP agreements retroactively. And usually that goes fine, but sometimes you can't find that person, or other times that contractor will um, ask for money. That sounds terrifying. Yeah, I've I've definitely heard stories of that. So usually this doesn't come up unless you're gonna raise some money or you're going to sell your company, right? And that's when somebody does some due diligence. Because if you just run it for whatever, 10, 20 years, or you shut it down or whatever, no one no one really notices. So that's the kind of the danger of not having that IP locked in. So I'm gl- glad that you were able to do that. I know during uh, Tiny Seed due diligence, that would have that would have come up. Yeah, yeah. And definitely during Tiny Seed due diligence is when I went and dug out that that agreement that was signed a couple of years ago and I was just like I was I was just holding my breath making sure that I had all my bases covered and it was a huge sigh of relief once I realized okay it's all it's all there. That's cool. So so you start working on this as a side project for the the company that you work for at the day job. You launch it into the Heroku app store in 2017. But for folks who don't know on Heroku they require you to have a hundred beta customers before you can charge. And so this wound up taking you almost a year, and it wasn't until December 2017 when you were able to charge. Back to your prior comment of, you know, when I asked you, did you ever think you'd get to $300,000 ARR? And you said, I thought I would get there in a year or two. Was that year of 2017 just agonizing and, and taking way longer than you thought it would? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so on Heroku, there's basically three phases of being in their, in their marketplace. There's the alpha phase where you're not even listed at all, but you can invite people individually. 
you have to get 10 customers there before you go to beta, which is when you're in the marketplace, but you still can't charge and you got a beta badge on your thing. And that's when you have to get 100 customers before you go to general availability and can actually charge customers. And yeah, so I, I went into alpha in January of 2017 and I didn't get to general availability till December of 2017. And it was a painful year. I did not think that it would take that long. I, I had this vision of it just kind of, you know, the product was so good in my eyes. People were just going to flock to it and it was going to be amazing. But yeah, I, I, the truth is I didn't do much to accelerate that. I didn't do much at all, much at all. I don't think I did anything to market it. I just sort of waited for customers to come. And fortunately, eventually they did. Eventually I, I, it got to general availability. I know some folks who have launched Heroku add-ons since then, and they've put a little more effort behind it and gotten to that point within a couple months. So I know that can be done. And if I had it to do over again, yeah, I would have reached out a little bit more to try to promote the thing. Right. Done some marketing, gone on podcasts, been on Twitter. I mean, done whatever, right? Even taken out some ads. I mean, you could have gone crazy with this thing. Yeah. This is still the area of the business that I struggle with the most. I am a developer by trade. I'm not a marketer. So this is, even though I've been running this business for over four years now, the marketing side of it still feels brand new to me. And I'm still figuring that out. That's one of the reasons I really wanted to join Tiny Seed is to have some community and mentorship specifically around that weakness of mine. Yeah. Rails Autoscale is an amazing step one business. Like when I think of the stair-step approach, step one is a single marketing channel. Step two is you have one or more products that you can buy at your time. And then step three usually is that recurring SaaS app that is just in the open market. I used to say that step one was single marketing channel, one-time sale. But that's no longer the case with Shopify add-ons and Heroku add-ons. And there's several other, I think, Salesforce. Like there's a lot of app stores now that have recurring revenue. That, that's where I think of Rails Autoscale as this amazing. Again, it's you're one person. You're running a business doing 300K ARR. Your expenses are very low. This is like a just a bootstrapper's dream, in my opinion. But as you and I have talked about, there's some risk, right? There is platform risk because you're all on Heroku. Like theoretically, Heroku could just disable your app. You violated our terms of service, you know, for whatever reason. Or they have their own free auto scaling that we'll talk about in a bit. And they could, you know, try to beef that up to compete with you or someone else could. I mean, there's all these, you know, these risks with the step one business. And I think that's something we've we've chatted quite a bit about is, you know, how do you get this to be a, a step three business, which is a business that has more options and is is more marketable and potentially reduces or eliminates a lot of that platform risk. What's your thinking on that these days? Yeah, I mean, obviously, right now I'm I'm targeted to a very a very specific and narrow niche of Rails applications on Heroku, and so there's a couple of different ways. If I if I wanted to continue with the same type of product, I could take it, stay on Heroku, but expand beyond Rails. I could stay focused on Rails and expand beyond Heroku. And those are definitely both things that I'm looking into right now. I've been having a lot of calls with customers who have actually left Rails Autoscale because they left Heroku and most of them went to AWS. So I've been having some conversations with, with them to see you know, what they're using now and, and if there's a, a possibility down that road. And I'm simultaneously exploring you know, folks who have asked me, can I use this with Node? Can I use this with Python? And you know, right up till now, my answer has been no. So those are definitely things that I'm exploring. And yeah, we'll see where that goes. I'm not quite sure yet. Yeah, this is this has to be a you have a hypothesis and then you try to prove or disprove that right before you write a bunch of code and and there's not an obvious answer. There are multiple paths and I think each of them can get you 
away from that risk, you know, the, it's not just platform risk. It's, it is even, you're very concentrated. Like what if over the next five years, you know, Ruby or Rails like itself becomes just less popular? It's possible. I mean, there, every language and every platform has like an adoption curve, you know, and you saw, we've seen all these languages that come and, and they have their heyday and then eventually they don't last languages, computer languages don't last 50 years, right? They last I don't know, 10, 15 years, especially in the web. And so that's the thing. I think if for folks who are listening to this, if you've built a like great business like Rails Autoscale, if you're thinking long-term, you should be thinking about these kinds of things. And it's not to say, oh my gosh, this, this is a terrible business. I never should have built this because that's not true either. But it's, it's that none of these businesses that we build can just go on autopilot for 5, 10, 15 years and, and be fine. They all have some type of, whether it's marketing risk, competitor risk, platform risk, obsolescence risk, adoption curve risk. You know, there, there's all these things that if you really, if you plan to sell it in a few years, then you don't really need to worry about this. But if you want to run a business like this for 10 or 20 years, a lot is going to change. You know, think of what the web was 20 years ago, right? 2001 and how different it is today. What will it be in 2041? And, you know, will that mean that your app, and I, I'm not just talking about Rails Autoscale, I'm talking to any listener out there, you know, will, will your app benefit from that? How will it need to change in the meantime to be viable? Because if it's your full-time, you know, your bootstrapper, mostly bootstrap, you've been making a full-time living for years off a business and suddenly it gets cut out from under you. What do you do? Do you want to go get a job? Because I don't, that doesn't sound like fun. Yeah, I mean... Joining Tiny Seed caused a lot of introspection and a lot of, a lot of thinking about what I want out of this business long term, because it was already making good money. You know, it, it had hit the point of, I hadn't yet switched to doing it full time, but I hit the point where I probably could. And you could call it a lifestyle business at that point. It was making enough money to provide a decent lifestyle. And I was thinking, you know, I don't have aspirations to be a billionaire or anything like that. I just want to live a good life and do work that I care about. But I also don't want to live every day with the anxiety that this thing's going to be yanked out from under me and I'm going to have to go get a job, especially after being out of the job market for so many years. So yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I'm at the point where I want to build a larger business, not because I want to build a, a large business, just larger than it is currently, just to have you know, some confidence that a slight downturn is going to make me go looking for a job or anything like that. Yeah, and that's the that's the balance. You know, I, I experienced a lot of that with well, with Hittail and then even with Drip. And it was it was always like looking over my shoulder, thinking what is going to cut, either cut my MRR or what's going to put us out of business overnight, accidentally, or you know, there's all types of stuff. So I feel like I feel like it got really depressing here <laughs> for a minute. So let's let's pull out of that. I, I'm curious. I mean, you applied to Tiny Seed. Was it? I guess it was last November. Now, yeah. So I mean, it's like six, seven months ago. You were already making plenty of of MRR to quit your job. That pretty much anyone anywhere in the world could, you know, live. I, I forget what it was. It was maybe sixteen k or something. You know, it was a healthy dose. Single founder, almost no expenses. But it was still a side project. You had a day job. Why was that? Why did you continue working on Rails Autoscale as a, as a side project, even with that much MRR? Yeah, there were several reasons. One is that the growth kind of took me by surprise. The, the growth of the business was slow and steady until 2020. And then from in, in 2020, started the year 2020 at less than 5K MRR, ended at over 15K MRR. So the business more than tripled just in 2020. And I don't know why. I don't know if that's COVID related in any way with more you know things going online and that kind of thing. 
yeah, 2020 took me by surprise in terms of the business growth. And we're a risk averse family. So honestly, you know, I'm, I'm the only income. My wife is, is back in school and we weren't prepared for the idea of completely relying on this business as our, as our sole income. Now at the end of 2020, we had kind of realized, yeah, this, this is going to happen. It's just a matter of when, when do I make this leap? So that's the point where I decided, well, I could wait until a little later in 2021, or I could apply to Tiny Seed and see what happens there, because that would definitely be sufficient cushion to make that leap with confidence, even being pretty risk averse. Right. And was it challenging for you to work the day job and have the nights and weekends side project? Because I know for some people that's really hard. It was like for me, it was very hard all those years I did it. And for other people, it's just not that big of a deal. How was it for you? Oh, it was hard. Honestly, I think back to when I first built Rails Autoscale in 2016 and 2017, and I'm not quite sure how I did it. If I think about 2018, 19, and 20, I don't feel like I was putting much into Rails Autoscale by that point. You know, it was it was a product that was working. It was growing slowly just through people finding it in the Heroku marketplace. And while I had time, I tended not to have a whole lot of mental energy or creative energy after the day job. So yeah, I found myself just not putting as much into Rails Autoscale. And that made me want to go full time on it even more because I just felt like if I want to accelerate this business at all, I can't have a day job and do it at the same time. Yeah, it's a really, and it's a tough place to be. I've heard folks say, some developers say like, I just can't do stuff on the side. If I'm going to do it, I need to be all in and I need to quit my day job. And I would have loved, loved to have that luxury because by the time I was really getting stuff off the ground, like I was married, had a mortgage. I guess I was doing it before we had our first kid, but frankly, it was just a couple years. And by that point, it was like, I can't go live in a live in a bedroom of an apartment with roommates and stuff. Like I didn't have that option. I didn't have any money in the bank. I didn't have rich parents. I didn't have rich relatives to do any type of friends and family. So I needed enough income to, and we didn't live lavishly by any stretch, but even just to maintain my job at the time, maybe it was 60K a year or something, right? This is my job. Graduated from college, went to, did construction. And then my, my first programming job was was 60K. And it's like, I, you know, I couldn't make much less than that and live and own a home in California with, with a family and such. And I really wish that I didn't have to do those nights. I mean, that, you know, I would stay up till one in the morning and then I'd go to sleep and then I'd wake up and do the day job. And it, it sucked. But it, to me, it was just, it's just what you had to do. If I wanted to one day have freedom, that's what I, I figured that was the price that I had to pay. And other people have to pay different prices. You know, I'm not saying because someone else didn't that they that they had it easier or that they're not as worthy of it. It's nothing like that. It's like each of us has, you know, our own starting point. Did you have nights and weekends where you were grinding it out like that until midnight or one and kind of, you know, waking up tired and, and doing the day job? Or did you have more, did you have better balance around that? I think I had better balance around that. I feel like one of the keys that has helped me get Rails Autoscale to where it is, is patience. I mean, I'm really happy with where Rails Autoscale is today, but the reality is, you know, I started building it. The, the first commit was in July of 2016. It's almost five years old. And yeah, when I initially built it, I had aspirations of it becoming my full-time thing within a year or two, but reality pretty quickly smacked me in the face there. And um yeah, and, and at that point, I realized that, you know, it's okay to take it slow. You know, I was pretty happy building something that was 
growing slowly, more or less on its own. And it didn't, you know, cause a whole lot of upheaval in my life. I was able to work on it some in the nights and weekends, but not to the point of exhausting and causing burnout. And yeah, I feel I feel good about the way that I approached that. I mean, could I have gotten to this point sooner if I had put more into it? I absolutely think I could have. Would I have enjoyed my life as much? Probably not. And maybe maybe I would have ended up throwing in the towel because I would have gotten burned out. I don't know. Yeah. And that's the beauty of being an indie founder, right? Is that we are, we're independent and you were able to make that decision. You didn't have any type of timeline other than your own. And I admire that patience, to be honest. And I think that it sounds like whether you did it intentionally or not, you viewed it as a marathon because that's kind of what this is, right? We think in terms of years, not months, like I often say that in the intro of this podcast, this is a years and years, if not, you know, at this point for me, it's a decade and a half journey, right? It's like, if you think you're going to get to 300K in 12 months, you're going to be disappointed or you're going to burn out, you know? Yeah, I like that metaphor. I think going into it, I, I had not accepted that metaphor yet. But once I did accept that, I think it's a very good metaphor, thinking of it as a marathon. So I hinted at this earlier, but Heroku has a free autoscaler. And yet you went and built Rails Autoscale. What was what was your thinking around that? Right. Heroku's free autoscaler did not exist when I initially built Rails Autoscale. So it came on either 2017 or 2018. And that was a scary time. Basically, you know, that's that platform risk right there. You you build something on a platform and then they build a native version and it's free and and you're completely screwed. That was what was playing out in my head when that was happening. Fortunately for me. Heroku's autoscaler, well, for one thing, it's only available on Heroku's higher tier plans. But even so, I didn't want to lose all those customers. But the reality is it did not impact my business in a noticeable way. And I still get about a third of my customers are using those higher tier Heroku dynos. So about a third of my customers could be using Heroku's free autoscaler, but they choose Rails Autoscale instead. And what they tell me is that it, it just it just works better. They've all tried Heroku's autoscaler and it just it didn't work reliably for them. Basically, they went through the same thing that we went through back in 2016, trying to autoscale. It was clunky. It was difficult. Yeah. So then they come to Rails Autoscale and, and they're happy paying for it. Yeah. And that's what I've heard as well. I've talked to a couple folks. I mean, everyone I know who's on Heroku and has any type of infrastructure in Rails, like they use Rails out of scale. And the the sentiment that I've heard is the same thing. It's that Heroku's auto-scaling the built-in. It, they did it as a checkbox feature, basically, and it isn't actually that good. I can imagine that moment, though, when you heard that they were going to build it, because this was, this was when uh, MailChimp added automations for Drip, right? Because that was our big thing is like, hey, we're like MailChimp, we have all these automations. And then they, they announced they're adding automations. And I was like, oh, shit. This is going to get ugly, you know. And as it turns out, their automations weren't that good and they're pretty clunky and they're hard to use. It did muddy the water for us for a while, though. But when you heard, when you heard their bill, did they just launch it or did they pre-announce it? And were you thinking, oh, I guess I had a good run. <laughs> Here we go. I guess uh, we'll be shutting this down. Yeah, I don't think there was a pre-announcement. I think they just launched it. Yeah, I thought I was pretty much done. I mean, I did know, I guess not done because I knew that only a subset of Heroku customers could use that Heroku auto-scaling. But I, I definitely thought my business was at least cut in half by that point. So yeah, it was scary. And if it had existed in 2016, would I have built Rails auto-scale? Would, would I have had the confidence that people are going to choose a paid solution over something that is free and integrated and native into, into Heroku? I, I don't know if I would have had that confidence. Yeah, timing, such an element of timing that you just wouldn't think about. Because I'd be the same way. 
if there is a free built-in version built by the platform, why would I think that anyone would pay for a paid version? So something about if you had started it a year, year and a half later, it may have never happened. Such a trip to think about. So since then, I mean, in the, even in the past couple weeks, you launched a freemium version because before now you had a free trial of Rails Autoscale and now there's a freemium version where people get a certain amount, they can hook it up and it tells them when it would autoscale up and down and it gives them 20 a month or a certain amount of autoscale events. Exactly, yeah. 20 autoscales per month. That's cool. And so what, what was your thinking there of I want to move from a free trial to freemium, which for you know those who aren't super familiar, freemium is usually just it's a perpetual plan, right? It, it works every month; it doesn't expire after seven days, but it's limited. So that when people want to get the full feature set, they're able to you know upgrade and start paying you. So yeah, what, what was your thought process with this experiment? Because I, I view it as an experiment, right? Is it something you, that you may may undo if it if it doesn't turn out well? I call it an experiment, but it's it's it, it would have to blow up in my face pretty hard for me to undo it. That's the reality. But so far, it's going great. Yeah, when I initially built Rails Autoscale, it was, for me, a cost savings thing. I, I wanted to save our company resources by autoscaling down when we didn't need it. And I sort of made the assumption that that's what everybody was going to use Rails Autoscale for. Since then, I'm finding through talking to my customers that for most of them, it's not about cost savings. It's about peace of mind. It's about having a safety net in place knowing that their app's not going to fall down, it's not going to, it's not going to slow to a crawl, that they can handle any sort of traffic spike or anything that, that comes their way. And I launched the free version because I want every Rails app on Heroku to be able to have that by default. So I'm kind of, I'm, I really keep pushing this idea of safety net. Like that's how I see Rails Autoscale now. It's the safety net for your Rails app and every Rails app can have it. I didn't want to limit that to just a seven-day trial anymore because then, you know, Rails developers aren't going to think about it until their app starts scaling or they start having trouble. I want it to be more of, you know, something just have there by default and then it's there when you need it. On the marketing side, that's called owning the lead. You know, if you have freemium, that if someone's already using, you know, I think of, of ProfitWell with their, I think actually Patrick Campbell from ProfitWell may have coined that phrase, owning the lead, but I, I heard it as freemium, obviously not a pricing approach, it's a marketing approach. And when you have freemium and someone signs up for your account, even if they're they're backgrounding it, they're because they don't not paying for it, but then they remember in six months, oh yeah, I do need that, or I do want that, or I've noticed this, then they already have a login. And it's just it's just a little bit more comfort and a little bit less friction. Yeah, I hadn't heard the term, but that's exactly the idea. And I mean, you're only a week into it. Are there any indications? Like, do you feel good about it so far? Is it completely unknown still as to whether it's going to work? How are you feeling about it? Well, my fear going into it is that I had a subset of paying customers who, you know, maybe could potentially have downgraded to free. So I was worried about, you know, losing revenue there potentially. That hasn't happened. Basically, what has happened is I've had a lot more free installations and the number of paid subscriptions, the trajectory of that hasn't changed at all. So it's just been the same sort of slow and steady growth. So too early to tell if there's much impact, but so far I'm at least happy that there's no negative impact and that I am getting a lot more free signups. That's always the fear with with pricing changes, with moving from credit card to no credit card or vice versa, moving to any of these things. It's like white knuckle for weeks while you look at the numbers. Because yeah, the the worst case is not that, that it 
doesn't accelerate your growth. It's that it dramatically decelerates it or cannibalizes existing MRR. Cool. Well, I'm glad, glad to hear that. Sir, thank you so much for joining me on uh, Startups for the Rest of Us today. It's been great having you. Yeah, this is fun. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. So folks want to keep up with you. You are at Adam Logic on Twitter and of course, railsautoscale.com for all the info about what you're up to. Thanks again. Thanks. Thanks again to Adam for coming on the show. If you'd like to join a batch of companies, much like Rails Autoscale, want to be part of Tiny Seed and get some funding and mentorship and continue to grow your business, we are opening applications again here in the next couple of months for our fall 2021 batch. Head to tinyseed.com and sign up for the uh, email list there to get notified. Thanks again for joining me on this journey, 556 episodes so far. And I'll be back in your earbuds again next Tuesday morning.